Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Political State Podcast, the first episode of 2019. Today's Friday, January 4th. And in this first episode of the new year, it's actually a return to year one. Uh, Dale Denwalt sitting over here to my right. Uh, Dale, when we first launched this podcast, we did it from the podcast studio. And then in year two, we went to the video studio. And now as we enter year three, we are back in the podcast studio. If you are listening, obviously you are listening via podcast, but we still have a camera in the corner. So there is a video element, but uh, Political State Podcast is back to its original form as a podcast. With some great uh, podcast mics. Yeah, we've got some great <laughs> podcast mics, a window out looking, the, uh, the streetcar passing by. Um, hopefully a little better sound quality for our listeners. Um, but like I said, we do have a camera in the corner, so we still have that video element. Um, and I think also maybe more of a, a you know, better conversation, maybe more intimate conversation that the podcast allows you uh, without having the kind of the bright lights of the video studio. But our guest this week can actually tell us which one, how, how they are different, video studio versus podcast, because she's been in the video studio, now she's in the podcast, and that is Oklahoma County Commissioner Carrie Blumert. Uh, Commissioner, uh, welcome. welcome. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me today. Yeah, we had you on several weeks ago, mm-hmm. right after the election. That was in the video studio, so now here we are in the podcast, our first guest of 2019. We appreciate that. Justin Wingeter, uh, Oklahoman's federal government reporter, also in studio with us. Justin, how's it going? Happy hey, New Year. Good. Happy New Year. At your standing, we all have stools, but you are choosing to do this podcast on your feet. For now, I may sit later, I don't know. <laughs> well, in today's episode, being the new year, we're going to discuss some New Year's resolutions for some Oklahoma political figures. Um, Representative Kendra Horn of Oklahoma's 5th District took office uh, this week. We're going to discuss that and the government shutdown. Uh, but, Com- Commissioner, we wanted to talk to you in this first half of the episode um, about your new job. You sworn in this week, right? Yes. Wednesday. So now it's official. You're officially a, a commissioner. And I wanted to ask you, you tweeted this week that you, you referred to having a 100-day agenda, yes. that you were going to hope to have some um, details really soon. I'm sure you're still kind of working on that. But I was curious, my first question to you is going to be, can you kind of reveal a little bit to us yeah. what that uh, first 100-day agenda is going to be? That's actually why I was late to taping, because I was meeting with my staff to go over the agenda. Um, I am very excited to be able to show this to uh, the voters and to the constituents. A lot of it just starts with building relationships, um, building relationships with people who can work on our jail, um, who can work on our juvenile center, um, and then ways to get people better access to our drug court, our mental health courts, our veteran courts. Um, And then what a lot of people don't know is that the county has a social services department where we have a county pharmacy, um, we provide small grants to social service agencies. And so my staff and I are talking about ways to improve those services, kind of beef them up, maybe add a component that really focuses on the homeless population. Um, So taking that aspect of county government that's kind of hidden away and bringing it to light more and getting it to be able to serve more people. Yeah, so. I imagine introducing people to county services is going to be a major a, a major part because a lot of people, casual, you know, residents of the city who may not be paying that much attention to politics probably aren't as familiar with yes. county governors they would Correct. government as they would state government, city hall, Correct. and that kind of thing. Yeah. And I might have said this on the last time I was on the podcast, but a lot of my campaigning was educating people on what county government does and what a commissioner does and how is public health involved in that, because that's my background is public health. So I'm a bit of a nerd. I'm, I've am i been compared <laughs> to Leslie Nope, which is maybe the <laughs> highest honor you could bestow on me. 
um, of going out and educating people of what their government's doing for them. So being a, a young person in their 30s, I like using Twitter. I like using Facebook and Instagram. And so yesterday I put out a, a picture of what our road crews were doing. And I hope to keep doing that with all, everything I'm working on. Keep putting it out there, showing people what county government's doing. So do you have a Ron Swanson in the office then yet, if that makes you lovely note? Ooh. Uh, I don't think so yet. There probably is one out there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you you referred to the jail, and that's been, you know, for for even casual observers of county government, that's kind of the thing that comes to mind the most. And, you know, one of the things that you also said earlier this week, you said 99% of the lawsuits that are filed against the board of county commissioners are related to the jail, which has seen 38 deaths since since 2015. Yes. And that is honestly what got me to really consider running for this position is hearing how many deaths were happening in our jail and knowing that that is not a normal number um, and seeing how my background is public health and mental health specifically. Um, how can we prevent these? This, these should, A lot of these deaths should not be happening in our jail. Um, so yeah, that was really what got me to run for this seat. Now, you're a pretty progressive Democrat. I know what a progressive looks like in Congress. I know what it looks like in the legislature. What does that mean for a county government? Though? What does it mean to be that a progressive? That's a really good question. Um, I am learning that as a young female progressive in county government, I'm very much in the minority, which I'm okay with. Um, it still looks like building relationships with people across the aisle. Um, Commissioner Calvi and I probably disagree on a lot of issues, but we can agree on things that need to be fixed with our jail. We can agree on getting people access to mental health treatment and addiction recovery programs. So it, I think it means finding things with people that you might disagree with 99 things and one thing you can agree on. Well, then that's what we're going to work on together. So yeah. you, you mentioned uh, uh forming some partnerships or forming relationships with people uh, around these issues. Does that mean uh, bringing in organizations that that may have a say in uh, how best uh, to do things, say, at the jail? Yeah. So this morning I was talking with my staff about a program called Stepping Up. Um, It is through the National Association of Counties. And locally, the Mental Health Association of Oklahoma has really pushed it. And it's a nationwide um, kind of network of counties that are working on reducing the number of people with mental illness in county jails. Um, So we're, I'm hoping to work with the other commissioners and join this stepping up program um, to give us more resources and more support to figure out how to how to address the mental health issues in our jail. So yeah, people like North Care, Red Rock, Hope, I mean, these are all community services who are already addressing, um, already serving people in this way. And so what's the best way to bring them on and and then with our, um, we refer to it as CJAC, but it stands for Criminal Justice Advisory Council. Um, that group meets once a month, and it is people from the chamber, the district attorney's office, the sheriff, um, city manager, Terry White, Commissioner Terry White with Department of Mental Health. So they are all finally sitting in a room every week, face-to-face, talking about how can we improve this jail. Now, there's been a lot of criminal justice reform on the state level with the legislature. Is there anything that you feel like... Um, either the county missed out on or that the county can do now um, that now that you've seen it on the state level yeah um, is there anything any best practices you can pull down from that fight Ooh, that's a good question um, and that I actually saw this morning uh, representative Mickey Dolan say that he was um, drafting legislation to redu- reduce the amount of time that people are um, in our jail for did you all see this I didn't see that, no. okay um, it was something from the it was 
pertaining to a certain, and I wish I had it pulled up right now, uh, pertaining to a certain um, charge, reducing the amount of time that someone can legally spend in jail for a certain charge. It lowered it down to like two days. So I would be very much in support of looking at other counties and other local criminal justice systems of what their range is for how long someone can stay in jail for certain charges. Because um, a lot of, you know, everyone sitting in our jail is awaiting trial or awaiting sentencing. Um, so all those people have not been char- have not been convicted of anything. They're waiting. So it's a drain on our resources. It's a drain on taxpayers to house those people when they haven't even been convicted yet of their crime. Yeah, and some um, of that state policy has a big impact obviously, yeah. on, the, on the jail. Is, you know, when there's such a large number of people who are being picked up because they ha- haven't paid their fines yeah. or, or, or or fees, you know, and that or failure to appear. appear. Yeah, and yeah. So it's kind of a cycle on that. Um, you know. There are, you know, there are some maybe some some things, some steps that can be taken to to improve the status of the jail, um, and there has been some steps recently. I mean, there's a new healthcare provider, correct? Yes, that's, we that's are a, using um, Turnkey Health now for, as of July 1st, 2018, for a healthcare provider in the jail. So and so, some ways to bring some improvement there. But I think when you look at the county jail, that there's this this agreement that some there needs to be some kind of holistic change, a yes. new facility, a new way of doing things. You know, one of the things that you've pointed out is that Oklahoma County is the only county in the state that doesn't have a dedicated yes. sales tax going towards the county jail or criminal justice system yes. in that county. It's the state's largest county. Um, is that you know is that something you throw out there as just the, just the reality of, of of why there's a challenge when it comes to funding or is that something you think needs to change? I mean, is that something you'd like to see? I would be in support of of changing it. I know a lot of other entities in our city have a pretty big say in that. Um, I I've talked with a lot of people about maps four and mm-hmm. possibly including something related to the jail or related to a holistic treatment center near the jail as part of maps four. Um, that's something I would be interested in. And what kind of response do you get from that? Because that would be a, a pretty big shift in yeah. where we've seen MAPS projects go before. I have heard it been said from people with the city saying that they like this idea. Um, so I think people have an appetite for it now that they've seen the success of Palomar, mm-hmm. where all these services for domestic violence victims are in one location. Um, I talked with someone the other day saying we should just replicate Palomar for people within our criminal justice system. So I would be very much in support of that. But yeah, passing that that countywide sales tax is going to be a really interesting animal. Um, number one, most people don't like taxes. Mm. So we would have to really prove the case that we are changing the way we're running our jail. We're changing the way our criminal justice system operates to give people better access to treatment and send them out better than how we found them. And you might be up for a fight against people who want MAPS money to go outside of the central OKC Correct. metro area. Correct. And I heard that a lot when I was campaigning. People people complained that you know downtown is getting all the resources, all the money, and they were they wanted maps money to go other places although that would be even though the jail is in downtown i mean that's that i don't know that it would be fair to say that that would be a focus of downtown issues i mean we're usually we're talking about like the streetcar and the yeah. new arena yeah. and stuff like that but the but the people that are being impacted the most by the jail are not people who are living downtown and working yeah. downtown for the most part yeah what so so and just to separate the issue, so you're talking about there, you know, maybe including in maps or maybe having a dedicated sales tax. Yeah. Um, what would be that process for for the county commissioners? Is there an? I imagine that the county commissioners one vehicle would be that they would have to approve putting something on the ballot. Correct. Do you feel like there is an appetite amongst your your fellow commissioners to do this? This has not come up with us yet. Um, 
this obviously this is my third day on the yep. job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and due to the Open Meeting Act, any time I I have a conversation with another commissioner, it has to be in an open meeting. So this could be this probably will be something that comes up in a Board of County Commissioner meeting. So I don't know yet how Commissioner Calvi or how Commissioner Mon feels about a countywide sales tax. Um, I know traditionally um, Commissioner Calvi is not supportive of more taxes, but I know he is supportive of uh, a better jail and a different, you know, mental health treatment. And so I'd be curious to see what he thinks about a, a countywide sales tax. So is that a So, I mean, even if other commissioners were open to the idea, I mean, I would imagine that, it, I mean, there would have to be a strong sell job to the community. Yes. Is that, a, I'm, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Like I said, it's just day three. And I'm not trying to say, you know, <laughs> hey, new commissioner Bloomberg is proposing a new <laughs> countywide tax. Please don't say that. <laughs> um, but is that something, I mean, do you kind of, would you envision yourself as kind of being the the salesman or saleswoman on, on, on this issue. Once again, I know we're kind of getting ahead yeah. of ourselves, but this is an, an important issue. Yeah. I, th- I believe as in speaking about the role of county government, I don't believe we can advocate for that. We can educate the well, that's public. that's what I'm saying. I mean, yeah, we yes. have to be the face for educating Correct. people on why this is important. Correct. Yes. And we could tailor that sales tax. Let's say the voters approve to build a new jail. Um, we could tailor that sales tax to the first five years. It's one penny. And then after that, it goes down to a quarter of a penny to fund operations. So there's ways that it's not just a solid one cent um, mm-hmm. or two cents. We can tailor it to how we think we, we need it. So what's the what, what numbers are we talking about here? Do you have any idea? Has there been numbers thrown out about how, how much it would cost to build a new jail, a new facility? A, I have them back at my office, okay, but that's I fine. don't We're have them memorized yet. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and like I said, I'm not trying to paint you as waving the yeah. banner for a tax increase. I appreciate you, you, you. being candid yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, but it is an important issue. Yeah. And like I said, I don't think I don't think we're at a place with the county jail where we're looking for a Band-Aid. I mean, this, Correct. there's a holistic change Correct. that's going to have to happen. And we are having to do continual maintenance on our jail, um, regardless of whether or not we're building a new facility. Because even if today we were to break ground on a new facility, we would still be in our current facility for three to five more years. So if the plumbing needs to be fixed, we can't really wait three to five years. So it's this balance of how much money do we put into the current building and how much do we put into a new building. So And it's in horrible shape. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's... If you're listening to this podcast and you have not been in our county jail, we do offer citizen tours. Um, That is led by a man named Timothy Tardibono, who is with the Criminal Justice Advisory Council. So he will take anyone through that jail. It's about an hour and a half process. And afterwards, he'll take you to, um, typically he takes people to remerge to let them see what recovery programs can Mm -hmm. look like and what treatment programs can look like. Um, so I encourage everyone to go through the jail just to have a better understanding of what that building is. Yeah, and that wouldn't like. be like a, this is not like your family friendly tour of like, hey, let's tour the arena or something like that. I mean, this is a sobering no. experience yeah. of what the reality of the oh, jail yeah. is like. I mean, I remember talking last year to a member of law enforcement for a story that had been arrested and, and had spent some time in the county jail. And he, afterwards he was like, I can't believe we send people there. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it When you made. go into the pods and when you see inmates, um, you know, waiting, shackled up on a on the wall, waiting to see their attorney, you feel like it's not 2019. I mean, it, it feels as if you've gone back in time. Um, so I'm, I always say I would love to have been a fly on the wall um, when the design of that building was decided upon. 
um, just because I'd like to know what they were thinking. Yeah, so. you have been shouting fly. Don't do this. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> yes. And for those of you who don't know, the, our jail is a, is a 13-story high-rise, uh, which is not typical of how jails are, are built. Yeah. There's no space for programming. There's no space to have AA meetings or yoga. There's no space for medical. So they have actually cleared out the 13th floor, and our medical providers operate out of cells where the doors have been removed. So it's the, the facility is not conducive to any sort of treatment or holistic um, holistic type treatment so yeah you mentioned earlier being a minority you went to an orientation if i recall correctly that you uh it was kind of put in stark terms you kind of (laughs) saw it right there in front of you right i mean you were i went to so there's the association of oklahoma county association of county commissioners of oklahoma so i went to a three-day training for all newly elected county commissioners and I was a little bit late because I had a meeting right before and I walked in and I was in a suit and heels. You know, I thought this was a, I mean, it was a very professional training, but I walked in and it was a room of about 50 to 60 um, white men, in, all in cowboy boots and jeans and their Carhartt jackets. And I immediately knew, okay, I'm, I'm in the minority. Um, and so, several of them were very nice to me and befriended me and, um, you know, no one was no one was hostile towards me, but they, I could tell they, the look on their faces was kind of like, who are you? One man even asked me, are you a county commissioner? And I said, yeah. So it was a it was an interesting. Experience. Have you got a cowboy hat yet? Just I don't have a cowboy hat yet. You need one. <laughs> every need every one. county commissioner. I need one. I need one. <laughs> and it looks a little different. I mean, the county commissioner process. It looks a little different depending which county you're in. Correct. I mean, in terms of you know, you talk about a lot of guys in cowboy hats. That's because in, in most Oklahoma counties, which are mo- you know most of them are rural. Yes. You know, the county yes. commissioner is kind of a known position. Yes. You know, here in Oklahoma City, you're sharing the stage with a lot of other levels Correct. of government as well. Correct. In those rural counties, a large majority of a county commissioner's job is roads and bridges. And um, I was talking yesterday with another reporter, and she said, why have women not historically been county commissioners? And I said, I think it's just because women might not see themselves as someone who wants to work on roads and bridges. That doesn't say it doesn't mean that they can't. It just historically hasn't. A lot of women haven't entered that field. But in more urban counties like Tulsa, Oklahoma City, um, roads and bridges are still part of my job, but they're not as much as they are in in those rural counties. Well, that's why your election is. It can it can be so important, um, you know, not to just reduce you to your gender, but you talk about a lot of women may not think about that yes, position. And yes. so now with you, you know, being a vocal yeah. county commissioner and sharing your experience, um, you know, that, that that has to lead some yeah. um, some women to say, well, maybe this is a, a position that I want to, yeah. an important position yeah. that I want to run for. So there are seven female county commissioners in our state right now. And I would love to somehow over the next year get all seven of us in the same room um, and talk about how we can get more women into county government. Seven so out of how many? 231. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So uh, I, I will not try to name all of them right now, but Karen Keith, Commissioner Karen Keith mm. is in Tulsa County. So. She's kind of the first one on my list to go talk to. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So on that sobering <laughs> <laughs> number, uh, let's move on. Before we, we move on to some of other talk, topics, um, give us a, a brief explanation of kind of what 
the, you know, you talk about your staff and your yeah. office. Like, what does that look like for a county commissioner here in Oklahoma County? So every county commissioner has a chief deputy, which some people might refer to as your chief of staff. And that person, if I have to miss a board meeting, that person is legally allowed to sit in my place and vote okay. on my behalf. So we are kind of seen as um, one decision-making entity, I guess. And who is that for you? Um, Joe Blau. Okay. And he was Commissioner Johnson's chief deputy. And I believe he was originally hired by um, Commissioner Jim Roth. So he has a lot of institutional knowledge. He's been around for a while. And he has been extremely helpful to me. Um, so that's Joe Blau. And then my first deputy is Cody Compton. Um, every commissioner does not have to have a, a first deputy. Um, I know Commissioner Calvi has, he has his chief deputy and then he's hired a specific criminal justice policy director who kind of fits in that spot of his first deputy. So each commissioner kind of gets to choose who they hire and for what based on what they want to work on. Um, and then you typically have a, a someone who does constituent services, maybe administrative type work. So in our in our office, that is Jerry Franklin. Okay. So yeah. Right. Well, um, day three and already hitting the ground running. Yeah. Well, well underway. <laughs> yeah. We appreciate it. And we tried to give you even more work as you sat here. <laughs> ben tried to give you a whole nother. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, well, let's uh, let's let's move on a little bit to some other um, political topics uh, taking place right now. Uh, one that's not just uh, in Oklahoma, but across the nation. That is the, the you know the partial government shutdown. So, Justin, um, real quick, give us an update of where we stand on Friday. It's something you've been covering, especially the impact here in Oklahoma. Uh, yeah, not much new. I mean, the still House shut passed, down. Yeah, it's <laughs> still shut down. Uh, the House passed a bill last night, Thursday night. Uh, you know, it was a Democratic bill and. It passed the House because the House is now Democratic and the Republican-controlled Senate does not have any interest in that bill. So that's we're back to square one. There were press conferences or, uh, yeah, even just this afternoon as we're on the show here. And uh, we'll see what comes out of that. But as far as it's uh, as far as I know, we're, we're still completely or, you know, partially shut down and at loggerheads, basically, between Trump and uh, congressional Democrats. And how many how many employees here in Oklahoma are impacted by this? Uh, it's tough to get an exact number because across several different agencies, but FAA is hardest hit. I mean, one thousand one hundred forty six uh, at the Monroney Center in south on the south side um, furloughed. Another five hundred and ninety three working without pay. Oh. Uh, so that is. Uh, real tough time to right there it's I, it's been described to me as a ghost town right now a skeleton crew uh, working the Maroney Center which is a major employer here in the Oklahoma City area also across the street outside our window is the IRS yeah. building uh, IRS uh, employees also furloughed right now um, I think there's still a sign on the door that says that if I can last see it time, yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> last time I checked so do you uh, know of any community services that have stepped up to help these families out and and for what oh for people who have been furloughed yeah i don't it's not to say it's not happening but okay. i'm not aware of any okay. now what's so interesting because so you said how many people at one that were um at what center you said about 500 where working without pay 593 working. at yep. the maroney center okay. the faa yeah. working without pay i mean that would you know, if we if there was a company of five hundred and ninety three people that had closed, which is essentially you know the impact is the same when you're not make, you're not getting paid. I mean, that would be huge news. Now, a lot of people think, all right, well, at some point the government will reopen and you know they'll get their back pay, and traditionally that's been that's been the case. Um, this shutdown seems a little bit different because it's it, there's no real you know 
end in sight right now. And, and who knows? They could get everything fixed or, you know, settled today. It doesn't seem likely. I mean, the president is reportedly saying that it could end, could last for months. Um, I mean, that's pretty significant once you start getting past a week one or week two. I mean, if you're going a month without pay, um, you know, that's a that's a big hit. So the way it works, you got the federal employees got a paycheck uh, on the first. I, I think it came on the 31st because the first was a holiday this month. So they got that paycheck. But the one that's supposed to come on the 15th is not guaranteed. And in fact, it won't happen if the government is still shut down or it won't be complete. I mean, it'll be whatever you worked okay. uh, as of then. And so. Right now, I mean, that's you only get pay, two paychecks a month if you're a federal employee. If one of them doesn't come, I mean, that's your ability to pay bills is yeah. uh, is hit pretty hard there. So, and there's going to be a ripple effect because think about how many people live near the Monroney Center, the FAA. They may live in an apartment complex, or they they may rent a house, or you know they may be there so much that they frequent the businesses yeah. around that part of town. And once they stop getting checks and are unable to pay their bills. You know, there's going to be some real ripple effects. And the Moroni Center is really important. I mean, the FAA Academy is there. That That is shut down. We have a, th- uh, a nationwide shortage right now of air traffic controllers. That's where they train all the air traffic controllers. And that academy is now shut down. 300-plus students had to go home. They had Somewhere on their first or second day of school, they had planned to become air traffic controllers. The FAA has hired them, but they have to go through that training. If that school is closed. You can't train. Yeah, and you've mentioned in, in some of your reporting that you can't just necessarily pick that back up, you know, especially if it goes after after a couple of weeks. I mean, bureaucracies close and reopen in a very inefficient way. It just does, you don't just start and stop entire bureaucracies and governments and and agencies. And so it, yeah, it's going to cost money to reopen it. It's going to cost a lot more money than we're actually or they are actually debating right now in border security funding. So it, it's 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 not typically an efficient idea to shut down the government. And so you this the showdown right now between the president and and the house which is now in democratic control and including a new democratic member from Oklahoma Kendra Horn who uh, took office uh, this week yesterday, right? Yesterday. Yep, yesterday. Yeah. Um, who was the only Oklahoma member to vote for the the, the funding package, right? Right. And so the others that are Republicans voted against it. Uh, she also supported uh, Nancy Pelosi for Speaker, something we've uh, she's been kind of quiet about. Had had expressed a, a desire for new leadership. Uh, many other incoming Democratic representatives have said the same thing. Um, I mean, only about fifteen Democrats voted against Pelosi. So uh, you know, right. Horn was was in the vast majority of Democrats. But was that surprising at all, or just kind of what, what was your response when you saw that? Um, I wasn't. Su- I wouldn't have been surprised either way. I I think I I thought Pelosi might go and give her um, the ability to vote no and just kind of a, a little comfort zone there because, I mean, <coughs> Pelosi clearly had the votes and Horn's going to have to come back and defend that vote. It's just a little easier if you vote present or something like that. And But, you know, nonetheless, she uh, went ahead and voted for Pelosi and that's um, obviously uh, Pelosi will be the speaker or is the speaker now as of yesterday. So, And that's, I mean, obviously, <coughs> excuse me, Horn said that she was you know, maybe wanting to see somebody different uh, during the campaign. So that's why there's some attention on this vote. But also this is a, you know, a moderate district. I mean, I guess you could, it's going to be considered a swing district, you know, in in a couple of years. Republicans have not 
um, counted this out to, to take back control. Um, so there's going to be some interesting votes for her. Uh, I mean, what you know, as we move forward, I mean, where do you see some of these you know potential you know I say landmines, but I mean just these moments where Horn is going to be judged a little differently for her votes because she is a Democrat, she is pretty progressive, but she still represents a district that's pretty purple. It's there are going to be a lot of those. I mean, when we saw the House funding vote or the government funding vote in the House last night, that is the first time of what will be many times where she is the lone vote in Oklahoma for something. And it, you know, it ultimately passes, but probably doesn't go anywhere in the Senate. And that you're going to see that a lot. I mean, obviously, she's going to break with the other members of the delegation because they're Republicans and she's a Democrat. And but she, I'm curious. I'm more interested in where she joins them, where she joins Republicans, because she is a moderate, yeah. and because she has to watch her, you know, her votes when she comes back home. And that's, uh, and and again, I mean, even more than that, the, my first point that she's a moderate. She's a pretty moderate Democrat. So she may join Republicans and she may go against her party on a few things where they go maybe too far left. And she just says, I'm not ready to go there yet. And I think Democrats here will probably forgive her for that, knowing that she is in a, you know, a purple district. Um, She'll have that that luxury. And even the Pelosi vote, I mean, you know, day one making that vote. I mean, the election is just around the corner as it always is for the House. But I don't know that the Pelosi vote is going to, I mean, I'm sure some groups will try to use it against her. I mean, they did I, yesterday. Yeah, they sent out a text. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> conservative groups did yesterday. But, I mean, there'll be so many things that happen between now and yeah. when the when the campaign gets ramped up. I don't I don't know that you're – I mean, I'm sure there'll be some ads that are trying to connect her to Pelosi, as there, as there always is. But um, but there were months ago. There, there were, were months, before yeah. the election, there were, yeah. before she ever took a vote. So, yeah. And, 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 she, won, and she won the race. Um, well, let's move in here as we've got about uh, 12 minutes left in this episode. I want to get to – uh, political New Year's resolutions and, and Carrie, please join us on this and maybe we'll ask you for yours as well but I, I want, want to go through a list of a, of a handful of, of prominent Oklahoma political figures and I asked you guys uh, this week that you know to come but what are some resolutions that uh, political resolutions that these that these individuals should have and let's let's start at the top of the list governor-elect Kevin Stitt who's going to take office officially on January 14th um, you know when you look at 2019. What is what is Governor Elect, soon to be Governor Stitt's, you know, New Year's resolution? What do you think he's hoping for in 2019? Let's take a Who's up first? Yeah, okay. uh, I'll, I'll go first. Um, th- this isn't necessarily something he can control, but I think Governor Stitt hopes for a legislature that behaves. Um, What do you mean by that? Well, he's going to have an agenda, and we're going to hear about it in a few days. Uh, But the legislature is uh, notorious for going its own way. Um, We've seen over the last eight years that uh, Governor Mary Fallon has had to pull teeth to get the legislature to pay attention to her. Um, And But, you know, Kevin Stitt is a different guy. Uh, He's a different kind of politician, so we may see something a little bit different. And his honeymoon period um, is this first legislative session. So he might have uh, enough political pull in the legislature to to get them to uh, to take a look at his uh, policies and initiatives and uh, maybe toe the line, so to speak. Well, most legislative leaders right now are still, you know, kind of singing kumbaya. There is this honeymoon period that we're in right now. And a lot of them are saying, hey, we're working together with the executive branch. Everything's great. It's never felt like this before. Um, you know. The, the, the cold, harsh reality is the state capitol will yeah. hit at some point, whether that's, you know, January 14th or May or whenever it is. But it's going to happen at some point. But, yes, a good one, a, a legislature that will play ball, especially when you're a new governor that's got quite, a, quite an aggressive agenda. 
Yeah, mine was remarkably similar. It was going to be, I mean, I was going to put it more on Stitt to work with the legislature a little more than uh, Dale did there. But I, to me, his tenure will be defined by his ability to work with the legislature. It should be easy enough. They're all Republicans. It seems easy. Uh, but he comes in with a, a mentality that government has not worked for a long time the way it should. And if that sort of mentality can butt heads when you talk to people who have been in government for a, for a while, you know, not terribly long with term limits, but uh, have been there for a while. And if you come in and think you know better than them, then, then he, he could butt some heads. But if, if they work together, as they uh, should, because they have a lot of shared ideas, then uh, it could be a very successful governorship. Yeah. Carrie, what do you think? A New Year's resolution for general elect state. Mine, mine is that oil prices stay above fifty three dollars. Yeah, that could be the huge monkey uh, wrench. uh, You know, wrench in the gears that if if oil continues to stay down, um, that just kind of changes the dynamics of you know this feeling that we've got money, that we've got some breathing room budget wise, but that can quickly go away as we are are well aware here in Oklahoma. I would agree with you. All right. It's two against one against one. It's not not a competition. Um, All right. Uh, Mayor David Holt uh, finishing up his first year in office here in a few months. Um, first of, of four years for his term. Uh, what's a what do you think is a resolution? I'll go first on this one. That the streetcar is a success. Yeah, uh, that's I, my I think, first thought too. <laughs> because if this streetcar that keeps passing by our window here, if it doesn't turn out to be a success, I mean, it is the marquee project yeah. right now of maps. And that if you're going for maps four and you're trying to sell that to yeah. people, um, and you're thinking, well, I mean, the streetcar is has not been a, a a useful item. It was just an expensive toy downtown. That's going to hurt the 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 brand yeah. uh, of maps. So I would say streetcar, streetcar be successful. Because yeah. it's free until, is today the last day it's free? Well, they just extended it, I think, right. to oh. February 1st. And I imagine that that's, I, I don't know, I think there's a 20% chance this thing stays free forever. Okay. <laughs> 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 I mean, if I am, I mean, really? I, I've heard that ridership numbers are still pretty good this this week, and but, you know, there's been some bad weather, so, I, you know, maybe they've they've plateaued a little bit, but if they, st- if they keep going down, yeah. I mean, you want, you want this thing to be successful, and the dynamics change when you start to charge for it yeah now the streetcar is exactly what i said too um it's 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 the biggest thing going in the city right now and there's been a lot of attention on it because uh sometimes it doesn't work uh they had to shut down because of flooding uh for a few minutes um uh, last week i think it was uh this week they're running on a uh, a reduced schedule because the uh the overhead lines have ice on them um uh, that's obviously going to melt um and there has been some uh some concerns by our, our own Steve Lackmeyer that the displays that show when the streetcar is arriving uh, is not based on an actual um, uh, time estimate, but rather the location of the streetcar. Well, Steve has an opinion on that. Yeah. I didn't see. <laughs> <laughs> check that out. Um, so yeah, it's getting getting a lot of attention. Some of it uh, real negative attention, and uh, it's it's going to take. Um, uh, a lot of goodwill, I think, from from the mayor's office to to make sure that people um, uh, keep uh, a positive attitude with the streetcar, and part of that is keeping it free, and that's exactly what he said yeah. on Twitter today. Yeah, and like I said, I mean, he, I think you want it to, you know, to be a good service because you've invested in it. You want it to be a good service, but I, I just think the optics, especially in a year we're going to be, uh, you know, pushing forward with maps four, that's going to be really important. Justin, you got one? We all rode streetcars. <laughs> <laughs> I would use the word sell. I think he has to sell it to a skeptical public, and yeah. the weather is not helping right now. The the ice is one thing. I mean, ice is pretty unusual. It shuts down a lot of forms of transportation. The flooding one, I, I thought, was a little embarrassing. I think. I mean, if 
it rains a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. Less less so here than other places, but rain's pretty common. If that shuts down your streetcar, <laughs> it's not a good look, in my opinion. It may help you sell it if Maps 4 truly becomes kind of a more of a neighborhood type project. Yeah. I mean, if we are talking about things like a, you know, a justice center, a jail, and also you know health centers and stuff like that, then maybe, I mean, I don't think the mayor is going to use this line, but I mean, uh, you know, others can say, listen, we've invested in these projects like the streetcar and the arena. It's time to invest in other projects that are for the neighborhood. Um, you know, how much the next maps includes of that. We were already hearing some chatter that maybe a new arena at the at state fairground. Uh, so there's going to oh, be yeah. some of those big ticket projects, but uh, we all said streetcar. So we're all on the same page on that one. All right. Uh, Representative Horn, Kendra Horn, we've already talked about a little bit today, but what do you feel like is, is her, her new year's resolution for this week, this year? I think she has to find her place in Congress. You know, you have a lot of outspoken liberal freshmen coming in. It's a very noisy, a very uh, attention-grabbing freshman class. She's not going to be leading it. She's not going to be grabbing the headlines like Ocasio-Cortez or something. She's going to be a little quieter. Obviously, she's much more moderate. And um, I think she just kind of has to find her place there. And it's not to say she can't do it or won't do it. She just has to, I think, a little bit. And I'm not sure what that means exactly. I'm not sure exactly what she's going for, where what area of expertise she carves out. But I, I think that's kind of the challenge right now. Yeah. yeah th- over the next year, there's going to be a lot of uh, uh, House Democrats versus Trump news uh, and votes. And she, uh, I think she has to be resolved to stay far away from that, as far away as she can. Well, my resolution was going to be that there is not a Trump impeachment vote uh, in front of the House mm. this year. I, I mean, I'm sure personally she would probably welcome that. I'm mean, probably not a fan of the president. Um, but that's that would be an interesting vote. Now, if there's some kind of evidence that's, that's extremely damning, then that changes things. And you can say, hey, I'm, I'm making a, a vote, you know, you know, even though it's still probably be a partisan vote. But if uh, if the House gets backed in quickly into a, an impeachment vote, I think that could be an interesting one for her. Um, you know, maybe not if it's in the first few months of the year, but if we get to the end of the year or even going into next year when she's going to probably face a competitive challenger, I mean, I would imagine um, that may be a tough one. Uh, maybe not. Maybe maybe CD5 is, 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 a, is a very anti-Trump um, a, a district. I mean, it definitely is more than other parts of the state. But you know, I think the impeachment one is going to be an interesting. Yeah. Thing. I mean, along the lines of what you all are saying, t- her challenge is keeping Oklahoma happy, keeping her district happy, but staying true to herself um, and voting how she thinks she needs to vote. Um, but she has an interesting job ahead of her. Um, I don't envy her right now. <laughs> yeah. um, she was great during the campaign at, at not talking about Trump yeah. and, and putting all those, I mean, just the noise of Washington out of her campaign and staying laser focused. I mean, yeah. she did a terrific job of it. It was a big part of the reason she won, too, yeah. is to avoid talking about some of these other, you know, the issue of the day or the issue of the hour yeah. <laughs> sometimes in Washington. Yeah, I have a lot of respect for her for keeping all that out and just really focusing on these are the issues that I'm running on and not really talking about Trump or any of that other stuff. So, Yeah. All right. A couple more. we got just a couple minutes left here. Um, so moving quickly, uh, House Minority Leader Emily Virgin um, elected the new minority leader headed into 2019. What's a, what's a resolution for her? Pick her battles. I mean, I think any minority leader has to pick your battles carefully. And uh, she's not going to be able to stop everything. She's not going to be able to stop even most things, maybe. But pick out wh- where you want to fight and, and fight hard. But you, you can't fight everything. You're not going to be able to. You're not going to be able to stop everything. Yeah. That, that's a really good. I think I'm going to um, uh, actually agree with Justin there. Uh, I wrote down something a little different. But um, as a minority leader, you can't just be uh, against everything. You have to be able to sit down with your majority counterparts. Um, and 
that may be something that the current uh, leadership in the House and, and um, not necessarily the Senate, but definitely the House feel like they haven't gotten in recent years. Uh, there's a lot of frustration from Republicans about Democrats and uh, being obstructionists. And uh, if uh, I think if there's going to be any compromise, then uh, Representative Virgin's going to have to uh, show that she's willing to do that. My answer is going to be that the that the political activism of 2019 kind of re, or 2018 remains in 2019. What I mean by that is not that necessarily we see another teachers walk teacher walkout, but that there were a lot of groups, teachers, public employees, people in the health community that yeah. were just you know frustrated with the state of things and whether they expressed it at the ballot box or rallies at the Capitol or you know social media, whatever it is, that's saying that we need to invest in our state. It had an impact. I'd say that one of her resolutions or one of the things she'd like to see would be that continues because that you're right she doesn't have a lot of numbers in her caucus but that could give you a lot of wind at your sales especially if you push try to push for things like medicaid expansion um and you've got people across the state that are you know saying hey we need this this is something that we we support it's going to be important she can't do it alone her caucus can't do it alone she's going to have to get support across the state yeah i would say agree public support keeping public support in her corner Um, Because she has, again, I don't envy her. Um, She has to work with Republicans and but she can't be, you know, an obstructionist on everything. So. All right. The final one here is House Speaker Charles McCall resolution for him. Uh, Prevent a revolution from within his own caucus. He has so many new people. Um, And you remember last year that uh, there were deep fractures within the Republican Party, um, especially in the House uh, and especially around election time uh, when you had um, seemingly members of the House majority uh, running um, uh, campaigns and running money and running candidates against members of their own caucus. Uh, And so as the Speaker of the House, hoping to have a successful 2019, much more than last year or the year before, you're going to want to hope to um, have everybody on the same page and uh, not willing to, you know, throw landmines out there. That's a good one. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, yeah, go ahead, Gary. Unity, unity within his party. Um, He has an opportunity with so many freshmen coming in to really kind of start fresh um and i think if he can find some unity within his party i think he can can be successful i think he needs to communicate a little better i think uh the house well the legislature in general the house in particular often look reactive like they're just jumping from crisis to crisis this should be a calmer year it should be a better year where he can actually out uh lay out an agenda and and follow it through and tell the people of Oklahoma, what he wants to do. Yeah, take advantage of a climate that's not as tumultuous yeah. as we've seen right. in years past. I would probably, he would say, he would probably also agree with Stitt, seeing that uh, price of oil stay up there as well. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. His yeah. job a lot harder if the economy declines. Well, let's end it on this note. Uh, Commissioner Bloomer, your New Year's resolution. Oh, man. <laughs> okay, at the end of 2019, I would love to, oh, there's 50 million things I want to have done by the end of this year. Um, I would love to have a better understanding of um, when we can potentially build a new jail or build a new treatment facility. So, so by the end of year, have some kind of details yeah, in place on that. Yeah, by the end of this year. So. Well, that's a good one. And as you get closer to that, we'll definitely have you back awesome. to, to discuss those efforts. So. Thank you. Well, Commissioner, thank you so thank much you. for your time. Thank you for being our first guest of 2019. You're welcome. Day and three. Yeah, we will definitely have you back. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of Political State from the Oklahoman. Um, once again, uh, staying in podcast and video form. We do have a camera, but uh, moving back to the podcast studio. So if you're listening to this and you aren't already, subscribe to this podcast e- out each and every week. 
Um, Justin and I are actually taking the show on the road next week. We're going to be down in Lawton. Nice. Governor-elect Kevin Stitt is going to be holding an inaugural. He didn't call it a ball. He called it a bash. It's going to be, <laughs> a, it's going to be an inaugural bash with, uh, right. with barbecue and um, a country music person that I'm probably supposed to know, but I don't. <laughs> it's not Toby Keith. He's at Oklahoma City, I think. Um, but Justin and I are going down to Lawton. Uh, um, we've got a couple guests lined up for that um, as the governor-elect kind of kicks off his inaugural festivities nice. um, ahead of his uh, uh, January 14th inauguration. And I think we're going to have some special episodes, too, as, you know, probably closer to the inauguration and session starts and, and those kind of things. Um, so continue to check out this uh, this uh, uh, po- political state podcast each and every week. Well, with Justin and Dale, the commissioner, I'm Ben Felder with The Oklahoman. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next week for another episode of Political State. <laughs>